Hello, hello, Lila Tove. I am Amy with Cole Ramon, and we have a special guest here. Amy, how are you doing tonight? I am doing absolutely lovely. So what do you have for us today? So this is the start of the series. Um, I'm not entirely sure what we're going to be calling this yet. Um, um, this started off as a kind of an idea that we were going to be featuring um, different Jewish composers within classical music. Um, that's kind of like a fun little late night program. And um, it's kind of evolved into more than that. Um, we're not just going to be exploring classical music here. Um, uh, we're going to be going into some other genres. Um, we're probably going to be doing some contemporary. We're going to be doing some musical theater, which I you know that you're excited about. I am. Uh, but yeah, this is going to, this this show, whatever we end up calling it, um, <laughs> we'll figure that out in post-production, I guess, is um, just going to be featuring, um, uh, you know, good music from good Jewish composers, and I'm really, really excited for it. I'm excited, too. We love good music here. So the plan is um, for this first segment as we kind of, you know, work towards the end of the summer is that we're going to start as far back in time as we can go with this and I think kind of, you know, bring it forward into the modern era. I um, love it. Yeah. Now, we're not going all the way back, you know. This isn't going to be a ton of, you know, not maybe talking so much about like Nusach and that kind of stuff, although it is really, really interesting. Um, I think the goal kind of is we're going to be starting with late 1800s, early 1900s, um, classical music, and we'll just be taking it forward from there and doing some cool stuff, and I'm really, really excited about I'm it. I'm excited, too. Yeah. Um, anyways, I'm going to go on ahead, and I'm going to just kind of get us started here. Um, uh, the first piece of music um, is one that you probably know, if um, you're like me and you grew up on Disney. Which I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. Um I think my, my parents' kind of solution when, you know, when little Philip Cronenberg was crying about not getting to eat, like, Fig Newtons or something like that. I was obsessed with Fig Newtons. I don't know if you knew this. I did not know this. <laughs> the, more that you, the more that you know. But, right, like, when little Philip Cronenberg was, was upset about something and, you know, like, my parents just needed to distract me a little bit, they would stick me in front of the TV and they would put on um, either Fantasia or Fantasia 2000. Fantasia um, 2000? Fantasia 2000 is a thing. I don't know what that is. So um, Fantasia and Fantasia 2000 are two movies that Disney put out um, that uh, basically are visual adaptations of pieces of classical music, right? Um, the one that most people know is, I believe, the first one, which features um, a segment based on Paul Dukas's uh, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is the first Mickey piece of a Yes, the whole Mickey Mouse with animating the brooms to life and all that fun stuff. And it's uh, also just a really, really phenomenal piece of music. Um, Dukas, um, most people don't know this, um, was Jewish, um, born into um, a wealthy kind of like middle upper class fam um, family in Paris. Uh, and he's a really, really interesting guy. And we'll probably talk about him a little bit after the piece is over. Um, but I think, you know, talk less, play more. Um, let's kick this off with uh, Paul Dukas and The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yay!
Thank <laughs> you.
And I do believe that we are back. Yeah, Phil, that was lovely. Thank you. Yeah, um, 
again, there's I I have a lot of just like really really fun childhood memories from that piece of music, so I figured it'd be a good way to get us started. Um, also going to give a obligatory shout outs to this recording. This was done by uh, the New York Philharmonic. Um, this is specifically with Leonard Bernstein, who's a very very well known uh, Jewish uh, con- composer in his own right, but also conductor. Um, that is his recording. Something that I wanted to do when I was putting this together is I want to f- feature as many kind of, you know, Jewish performers as, as possible as well. You know, I just, Absolutely, yeah. just something a little bit special. Um, but yeah, talking about Dukas um, a little bit more for a second or two, uh, Dukas is definitely like a little bit of a weird case. Um, he, uh, he did some really, really impressive music, um, back in, you know, back when he was alive in, you know, like late 1800s, early 1900s, a lot of his other works, um, they haven't been lost to time per se, uh, but they're certainly not as popular as The Sorcerer's Apprentice. I think it's a little bit of, a little bit of a pity. Um, I know he did a phenomenal opera called La Paris, which is just, it's a gorgeous piece of music, far too long to feature, um, um, and I think also some of his contributions to music go a little bit um, unnoticed, too, um, because he had a very, very important um, role as a composition teacher um, at the uh, at the Paris Conservatory, which is, in case you don't know, huge, 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 like, important school of music in terms of, like, musical history, um, even till to, you know, even to today. Um, a lot of excellent um, composers come out of that school, um, Claude Debussy. Um, one was uh, was actually uh, one of Dukas' contemporaries. They were actually friends. Uh, w- Debussy, for, in case you don't know, is a phenomenal, phenomenal orchestral pianist. Um, totally ty- stylistically different than Dukas, um, uh, but equally phenomenal in his own right. Um, and I wish that we could play some of his music tonight, but we're not going to. Oh um, man. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, some of uh, uh, Dukas' students also went on to do some really, really excellent stuff. Um, particularly um, a one, Oliver Messiaen, who wrote this incredible piece called The Quartet for the End of Time um, while he was um, basically imprisoned by the Nazis during World War II, and that is, like, just absolutely gorgeous piece of music. So um, I think I'm taking the takeaway here. Dukas, excellent composer in his own right, um, and his contributions to the world of music go beyond just the scope of, you know, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is what we remember him for. Um, Before we move forward in time, we're actually going to go back for a second um, we're going to go back to the early 1800s, and we're going to talk about a little guy that you guys have probably never heard of before called Felix Mendelssohn. Yep, never heard of him. No, totally <laughs> never heard kidding. of Mendelssohn before. Yeah, most Ew. of us, uh, Mendelssohn is, I mean, not a, obviously not like a household name. None of these names are household names, really. But in the classical music world, um, Mendelssohn is, um, he's, he's still a household name. Mendelssohn was a pretty active composer um, in the early 1800s, um, 1820s, 1830s. Um, he is known for um, a couple symphonies, you know, the Italian symphony, Scottish symphony. Um, he's done a couple strong um, oratorios. Um, he is also one of the people who brought the um, the St. Matthew Passion back to kind of the forefront of where it is in the classical uh, world today. His kind of enthusiasm with that piece of music um, is what has kind of led it to be, you know, canonized as one of those big staples of classical music. Um, Mendelssohn had a kind of interesting um, rep during his lifetime. Um, he was born in a time where um, there are a lot of people who were trying to push music forward, right? Um, and continually develop and develop classical music and do just more interesting things with, you know, like chord structures and, you know, just even, you know, 
doing things like, you know, just writing larger symphonies, doing like really, really large programmatic works. And we will talk about that in a second while it's relevant. And Mendelssohn wasn't, that really wasn't his thing. Um, he loved, uh, you know, prior composers, um, like Beethoven was definitely a big influence there. Um, and a lot of his work is taking, you know, the work of those who came before him and really kind of refining it um, and doing interesting things, you know, to progress within that own right. Unfortunately, during his lifetime, um, uh, one of his very, very outspoken critics um, was a man by the name of um, Wagner, who, boo, um, uh, Wagner, Wagner yeah. very, 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 very famous composer is um, most right, most basically known for um, um, the Ring Cycle, um, which is a massive series of operas. Um, and his whole thing was, you know, really kind of pushing the orchestra and the human voice to the extremes, which would have been lovely if the man wasn't a massive anti-Semite. Um, <laughs> Uh, and that kind of held back um, Mendelssohn's reputation during his lifetime, and um, like a lot of com like you know a lot of composers, unfortunately, he only kind of became um, more popular after he passed um, very very young too. I think he passed in like his like early mid forties or something. Um, we're not going to be doing um, one of Mendelssohn's larger works tonight. Um, we're going to be doing two short ones. Um, uh, he had a song cycle called uh, The Songs Without Words. Um, these are all pieces for solo piano. Um, they are absolutely gorgeous, and they're very, very short. Um, so we're going to be doing um, uh, two of them. We're going to be doing Opus 19, number one, and uh, Opus 67, number two. Both of these are, perform are performed by Daniel Barenboim, um, excellent Jewish um, pianist and um, also conductor. I'll get to that a little bit later. Um, I hope you enjoy.
And honestly, I could probably listen to that for just like an entire hour. <laughs> um, it's it's just very, very relaxing music. And it's just, you know, it's just it's it's just lovely. Um, and now for something entirely different. Um, <laughs> I, I'm glad that you got the reference. <laughs> um, this. Um, this next composer that we're going to be talking about, we're going to be jumping um, about a hundred years forward now. Um, so sorry to the 1800s. I guess they didn't really matter all that much. Um, we're actually moving across the ocean out of Germany. Um, uh, you know, started in France, moved to Germany. Now we're going to be heading over to America um, to talk about a composer that I really don't think a lot of people know about. Um, and this is one that I say is because I recently discovered his works. Um, and I wanted to feature some of it here. Um, this is a um, composer named Leopold Gadowski. Uh, now, Gadowski was a phenomenal, phenomenal American concert pianist. Um, like, really kind of, you know, top of, you know, really kind of like top of the industry, I believe, for a while. He was the number one kind of like classical performer for piano in America at one point. Um, unfortunately, very, very, when he was, when he, not very, very young, but, you know, I think it was either late 30s or early 40s, the man suffered a stroke, and while he survived, he never really returned to perform. Uh, Godowski also really struggled with things like, you know, like anxiety. He was very, very fiercely critical of himself, uh, much like Dukas, actually. Um, a lot of Dukas' work tore up. He just wasn't happy with them. 
um, Gadowski very, very much the same the same way. And it was said by a lot of his contemporaries that his best performances were later in life post the stroke, but they were done, you know, inside of his own house for just his family and friends, um, which really is kind of a pity. A lot like Mendelssohn, Gadowski was someone who kind of looked back to the past and took inspiration uh, from, you know, older styles and older composers and kind of really tried to just... Yeah, so the whole thing with Godowski again is that he was somebody who was just, he was trying to look back at older composers um, and take their, you know, take their ideas and really just elevate them um, within this context. The piece of music that we have for you tonight um, is a little bit of a longer one, but I do think that you'll enjoy it. Um, this is um, Godowski's Pasacaglia in B minor, and this is like textbook how you do theme and variations. Um uh, what he does here is he takes a, a theme from uh, Schubert's Unfinished Symphony um, and just expounds upon it in really, really interesting and unique ways. And the whole the whole piece is just a love letter to Schubert's works. You can find other references to some of his pieces, particularly Der Elkenig is um, featured in one of these variations. Um, we're not going to listen to the whole thing tonight. Um, we'll probably be leaving off the fugue, um, but we will do the whole Pasacaglia, and this is, I mean, it's just a very, very technically impressive and really beautiful piece of music, and I hope that you enjoy.
Yeah, so um little bit different than Mendelssohn, I would say. <laughs> just a tad. Yeah, it's it's just it's just an absolutely gorgeous piece of music and like it's it's you know, it's very very dark and it, you know, it, it clashes and it you know, it, it crunches a bit along the way, but it's it's you know, it's a really kind of beautiful love letter to the past, which I think also ties in nicely with, you know, the whole Mendelssohn bit. Um, we're going to move back over to um, composers who kind of focused a little more on doing their own thing, um, which, you know, kind of was, that was Dukas' whole thing, um, which is actually very, very interesting. I'll talk about this for just a, in two seconds, if you don't mind. Um, with Dukas, he was active at a time where you were part of basically one of two camps in the kind of like Parisian school of music where you were either looking back to the past or you were trying to push music onwards. And Dukas just kind of was like, I, wanna, I just want to do my own thing. I just want to make music, man. I just want to do my own thing. Um, and the fact that he was able to do that, I think really speaks test is really kind of like a testament to just how good he was. And it really speaks volume as about him as a composer. Speaking of somebody else who didn't necessarily, um, you know, push the meta, so to speak, of classical music, but as someone who is very, very near and dear to my heart, it's my favorite composer, um, we're going to be doing a little bit of Gustav Mahler, um, who is, I think, a little bit more of a household name than these guys. Um, Mahler's music is big, it is dramatic, um, but there's something also very kind of, like, like, tender about it, and, like, he knows exactly when to kind of, like, pull back and like pull at your heartstrings a bit um i kind of joke that Mahler is like every you know like second year uh classical music major's like favorite composer <laughs> um maybe there is maybe maybe slightly overrated but i really don't think he is i think good music at the end of the day is good music and you know we should get the chance to listen to some of it um we're going to be doing um uh two excerpts um, from Mahler's symphonies uh, to kind of finish off the night here. Um, we're going to be taking um, a little bit of Mahler 1 first. Um, Mahler 1, if you're looking to kind of get started with Mahler's uh, works, because there is a lot between the symphonies and the song cycles and all that jazz, um, Mahler 1 is probably the most accessible place to start with his music um, because in kind of a funny way, I think it's the least that actually sounds like him. <laughs> um, Mahler one is very, very interesting in the sense that um, the first three movements are very kind of, they're very, very pastoral, so to speak. Um, they really try to evoke this idea of, you know, like different sounds that you'd be hearing in um, in the countryside, which is where he grew up. And it really isn't until the fourth movement where we get kind of this, fire and brimstone that his music is really known for um the third movement from symphony one i think is really just kind of like the perfect example of this you're going to hear some pretty interesting sounds some sounds in here you're going to hear um uh, uh frere jaca um very very well-known uh lullaby tune kind of warped into like a little marching band segment which is very very cool um, there is some stuff in here that definitely models uh, Klezmer, which Mahler would have um, you know, grown up around um, as a young boy. And it's really, really kind of cool to see how he takes these um, less uh, 
you know, they're not less good, but, you know, the genres which at, at, at the time were a lot more kind of like out of the mainstream, not exactly highbrow and how he kind of takes them and, you know, incorporates them into his music in interesting ways. So, like I said, this is movement three of uh, Mahler's Symphony Number no. 1 in D major.
really, really kind of is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and uh, that that very, very kind of like quiet, muted ending really kind of takes us out of like this whole like, you know, countryside thing and into kind of like, again, more of that like fire that you get with a typical Mahler symphony. Um, I'm just, I am going to touch on this for two seconds. Um, um, this wasn't planned, but I figure I kind of want to do it anyway, because the next Mahler example doesn't really have much of that. Um, uh, to give you some idea of what immediately follows this, I'm just going to play like the first minute or so of the next movement um, to give you an idea how quickly Mahler 180s on himself. It's very, very cool. So yeah, like complete and total stylistic, just 180 right there. Um, you should like genuinely, genuinely like like if you ever get the chance to listen more to his work. Um, and the same thing with for any of the composers this evening. I'm just biased because I I like Mahler a lot. Like definitely go on ahead and check some of his stuff out. It's it's very very good. Um, it is getting late. And I think we are back now. Wonderful. Um, so like I was saying, um, we've just made it over the hour mark. Um, thank you for staying with us this long. I really, really appreciate it. Um, before we kind of um, head off for the evening, I am going to give you one more piece of music as promised. Um, this is another little Mahler. This is a very, very famous excerpt from his Fifth Symphony. Um, this is the Adagietto. And this, this movement is, I mean, I think it will speak for itself. Um, Mahler more or less wrote this particular movement as as a as a proposal um, to his wife, and um, it's like, well, how can you pr propose with a piece of music like <laughs> Mahler, bro? What? But no, it, like you'll like genuinely, this is one of those things where you just need to hear it to understand just how rich and beautiful this piece of music is. Um, I do think it is a fitting way to kind of take us off the air for, th for tonight. Um, thank you so, so much for joining us for this uh, kind of inaugural episode of Jewish composers in, you know, classical and contemporary music. Um, thank you to Amy um, for being here. You're welcome. And of course, thank you to Benji, um, who has been taking care of a whole bunch of our stuff in terms of sound levels. Um, I know he's not on mic right now, but he really, really is the best, as are you. And again, like, just thank you to both of them for helping me out. And 
thank you for thank you to you for tuning in. I really really appreciate it. Uh, without further ado, uh, this is the Adagietto from Mahler Five, um, conducted by Daniel Barenboim. <laughs>